I hope you'll be able to hear my voice. Um, unfortunately, I had a cold, and <laughs> I've been trying not to speak as much during the conference so that I can actually make this presentation. Uh, basically, my presentation is uh, a, uh, well, a piece of my PhD, and I was basically looking at the migration decisions of Kenyan and Nigerian women coming to London, and networks was, was part of the discussion. But the approach I use is that I was trying to find out if the networks were gendered and whether specific information were be, was being given by women uh, and men. But in this particular one, it's based on some of the findings I did not expect to find uh, from my thesis. And it's just a basic overview of my findings in this case. So basically my PhD, I submitted it in 2011. And the reason why I conducted this study was because there are very few studies on migration decision making from the perspective of Kenyan and Nigerian women. And I was curious as to why that was the case. And uh, when I did look into the literature, I realized that there's a focus on just generally Kenyan and Nigerian women migrating, um, Kenyan, Kenyans and Nigerians migrating in general, but not an understanding as to the process, what happens before they migrate, who, what makes them, what pushes them to migrate. And another reason uh, is there are very few studies looking at the agency of women in migration decisions. And I was also curious as to why that was the case. And looking at the literature, I realized there's a dominance of this discussion from Southeast Asia and Mexican women to the United States. And I wanted to find out, is this, um, is this what is happening in the case of Kenyan and Nigerian women? Um, the focus has also been generally on labor migration, and it's also just looking at the trends, people migrating from, from Kenya to other countries like U.S. or U.K., or those, are, those being the major destinations. And um, migration decisions is sort of like a very small discussion within that, uh, within that research. So in general, um, what I use for my uh, methodology, I use a qualitative method, and I did in-depth interviews about 30, 15 Kenyan, 15 Nigerian, and three focus groups, one Kenyan, one Nigerian, and one mixed. Uh, the reason for the mix was to see if there were similarities or differences and if they could sort of question and challenge each other in terms of um, what happened in the migration process, migration decision-making process. And the age group was ranged from 18 to 60 because I was not sure. Most of them had been here from 1990, uh, even before that, but I had to exclude those before that. And I wanted to find out if people at, at the age of 18 were making that decision to migrate. Uh, and also the categories were, I use these categories from the uh, sort of ha from the legal framework in terms of work permit holders, students, long-term residents. I did want to include asylum seekers and refugees, but the po generally there are not many, there's not a big population of Kenyans and Nigerians who are asylum seekers and refugees. They are, but then it was difficult to access them, and I didn't uh, get the ethical clearance to actually access them. So I had to exclude that. And again, I looked at the time period between 1990 and 2000, uh, 2010. Initially, it was 1995 to 2005, and when I did a sort of pilot, I realized that majority of the Kenyans came after 1995, so I had to sort of expand my time frame. So that's why it's, such a, it's quite a long period, and also to just get, get, get an idea of when they came and why. Now, this is, I realize that this may be repetitive, but it's sort of just saying what I've just said about why I chose Nigerian and Kenyan women. 
And uh, the study by Reynolds is the only one I could find from the perspective of Nigerian women where she was capturing the migration decisions of professional women, Nigerian women moving to the United States. And the reason behind their movement was because they were um, seeking economic freedom, independence. Because in Nigeria, the way they interpreted it, whatever money they made was for the husband or the husband's family. So she was investigating that, and she also found the same challenge in terms of um, being unable to find studies or people engaging in this topic in terms of migration decision-making. The same with um, Kenyan women, it was very difficult to find any study. I mean, I felt like I was just digging and digging and couldn't find anything, and most of the studies I was finding were very outdated and very general without actually specifically tack tackling certain issues. And the study I'm referring to then, Kitetu, um, is looking at the Chama program where women come together in, uh, in England, where they, well, they bring in their economic resources together and looking at how they connect in that sort of setup. So that's why I was sort of curious to find out what is happening with women and migration decision making. Um, also, Kenyan Nigerian women at the time of my study were the top five immigrant populations in UK and London, and that also brought more curiosity as well. Nigeria being, uh, at the time it was um, 146,000 estimated, but th that was looking at legal migrants, so we don't know the status of the, the actual population, but I was interested to see that 49% of those of 146,000 were women. And in the case of, of Kenyan women, there are about 123,000, and 51% of it were Kenyan women. So I was curious as to what, um, why is that the case? Why are there more women than men? So the purpose was to draw attention to women's agency because generally there was very little discussion on this topic and it was it was not intended to sort of generalize and say Kenyan women and Nigerian women make decisions in this way but to understand the experience from a qualitative perspective. So uh, when I was looking at networks I was sort of grappling with this idea of migration systems and networks uh, operating within them so I was trying to find out the connections between uh, potential migrants and their networks in the destination countries or return migrants or those who have the sources they have available to them in, the, in their country of origin. And I found this interesting conceptual framework by Fawcett, which basically was explaining the linkages uh, between networks operating within a migration system. Although he did not go into so much detail about migration system, I was very interested about these categories of linkages and types of linkages. And the categories, as you can see, they sort of describe a certain group or a category that, um, that could link two countries or individuals together, state to state being governments, mass culture and communication. These are just his words, I've not really changed them. Mass culture and communication referring to media, things like television and uh, print media, family and personal networks and migra migrant agency activities being associations of that sort. And then the types of linkages he was referring to are tangible, regulatory, and relational, which I'll explain in the next couple of slides. And sort of to put it into perspective, with the state-to-state, -state, he sort of saw the political and economic connections between two countries. So looking at the movements of people engaging uh, in the exchange of goods or commodities, so looking at business, businessmen and women coming in and out of the different countries. So this is in terms of tangible state-to-state -state linkages what, uh, what uh, Fawcett was defining. Then the ma mass culture connections. I think I've changed that. It should have been communications. 
Um, it's looking at information conveyed about the destination countries through various forms of media, television, magazines. And I was taking this from his definition at the time in 1989 before the technological advancement. So it was interesting to me because with all the changes that have taken place, this definition could be expanded to include social media and the internet. And um, family and personal networks, quite self-explanatory. Tangible linkages referring to the interactions between family members in the resident, uh, resident in the destination country uh, and the country of origin, and that could be through communication, written communication, face to face, and it can be even in the form of remittances, so gifts that um, migrants bring back, and migrant tangible migrant agency activity linkages are those materials given by agencies, so materials about. Uh, for example, universities, if they're looking for students, they give them a prospectus, something, information about the university and the course that they're going to do and the information they require to process, to go through the process. And in terms of regulatory linkages, state regulatory state-to-state linkages, these are the legal and contractual agreements between different states. So they can be immigration policies, which agreed on between countries and which will allow certain members of certain countries to come to the, to the destination country. So these are more legal frameworks. And then mass cultural communication, the social norms, sort of looking at how, um, how society expresses the social attitudes towards um, migrants. And this can be even through TV shows and you can see how they portray certain immigrants and the perceptions that they hold about them. And family and personal networks look at the obligations. For example, if I came, uh, if I came here and some families in uh, Kenya assisted me to come to the UK, I'll be obliged to assist them in a certain, to a certain extent because they have assisted me in my migration process. So it's looking at the obligations between family members and, pers and personal networks. Then with migrant agency activities, you look at the rules and procedures followed by migrant agencies. Uh, such as legal contracts, and this can be through, for example, the nursing association. They could actually sh uh, provide them with um, information as to what their status would be in the country and what they're entitled to, where to process the uh, national insurance number, etc., etc. And the same to do with students as well. Then finally, the, the relational, which is quite self-explanatory, is quite comparable. You're, looking, you're comparing between two different uh, things or three different things and looking at how in, in terms of state to state you're comparing the relationship between two countries for example Kenya and Nigeria were former colonies of the UK of the British Empire at the time so they're able to relate to some of the legal policies practices so this is what um, Fawcett was sort of referring to on a general level in, in terms of mass culture communication you're comparing value systems and uh, looking at how Education systems are similar, languages are similar, uh, cultural behaviors, norms, that sort of thing. And there's also family and personal networks looking at the potential, how potential migrants compare the experiences of um, those who are in the country, in the destination country. For example, if someone is successful, they'll be able to think that I'll have the same level of success if I was to follow the same sort of procedure not realizing that that person has a different experience than they, they do. And finally, the migrant agency activities. 
Um, the potential migrant sort of assesses the benefits, it's like a cost-benefit analysis that they may gain in the destination country based on the information given by the agencies or the associations that they are working with. So essentially, he sort of, this is how he tabulated it. I don't know, can you see it from the back? Okay, and the red is sort of my insertion. And he was giving ideas of what they contain. So in the mass culture connections, I've included social media, things like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the internet. And then with family and personal networks, I included gifts, sort of material gifts, which sort of indicate there's a sign, like a, a sign of wealth. But for this presentation, I will not tap on state-to-state -state relations because I did not come across any of that. But I saw, um, in terms of mass culture and family and the rest, there were, there were some connections between the migrants in my study and uh, the networks that they consulted. So essentially, um, I mean, I went into this discussion about information because networks provide information. And I found this uh, interesting uh, interpretation by Prout on the two t uh, types of information channels, looking at formal and informal channels. Informal being the interactions between individuals and informal being interactions with literature. So the first one, you're, you're engaging, you're talking to the person and you're getting feedback, you're getting clarity, but with the informal, you're sort of reading it for yourself and interpreting it for yourself. So there's no communication, there's no feedback mechanism. And in terms of information channels, he went on to say that they can be interactive, spread word, by word, uh, word of mouth, or two-way oriented. So in terms of two-way oriented, he was referring to specific sort of if there's a job opportunity in a certain industry and they know of someone in Kenya or in Nigeria that can be useful in that position, they'll be able to inform them about that opportunity. So that's how he defined in terms of two-way oriented. And then also Martinez had talked about information and seeing how it is received by the, um, by the network, sort of like uh, when he talks about the complexity of information, he's referring to some of the laws. Some people may not be able to interpret or understand the meaning of the legal requirements as a student or as a work permit holder, and they would need to go to information agents to sort of translate it for them. And there was a tendency, what he was saying is that there was a tendency of people not being able to go to these information channels which provide up-to-date information, and they'll prefer to go to their own sources of information because they feel they are more trusted but they are more outdated in terms of the information that they convey. So he felt that there's a trust element uh, that was a problem with people receiving information. They do not trust the network because it may actually uh, discourage them from migrating. So they would rather go to someone that will encourage them to migrate saying that there are opportunities but not realizing that they are barriers, legal barriers or re legal requirements. So in terms of my analysis, I found um, Sophie, one of the Kenyan respondents, basically described networks as that. Um, it's like a spider web, whereby in each junction there's a point of information. Everyone you meet, can, you can learn something from them. They will give you some sort of information that is useful in your life. So in a sense, she's sort of saying that people consult different sources of information for different uh, for their need at that point in time, and they sort of interpret it in, her, in their own way. So these are just examples from my, from just to give you an example of tangible linkages in terms of mass culture migrant agencies to show how people sort of use migration decision-making in the process, uh, sorry, to use in, uh, networks in their migration decision-making. 
And what I found interesting is that some people had already made the decision to migrate and were sort of getting information to sort of, uh, sort of say, yes, that is, that is where I'm going. That is where I'm going. Um, but also choosing a location within the destination because they can say I'm going to UK, but we're in the UK. So you find information sources in the, in the location and find out information. So some people were using tangible linkages in terms of the internet as a tool to receive information uh, about the potential destination. Some people talked about looking at Facebook pictures, and that was quite interesting because they were, we, I had one respondent who had indicated that she has friends who put Facebook pictures standing in front of a very expensive car somewhere in, 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 the, central, in, in the center of London and giving the impression that she's living a good life. But because this person knows the background of that person, she was, be able, she was able to know that this is not truthful and was able to sort of go to the places and see how much the cost of living is in that particular neighborhood. Because of the, background, because of the person's background, she was able to determine that she was t telling a, uh, a lie. Because most people take a picture and they say, I'm living a good life, and you interpret it as they are living a good life, not realizing that they're living in another situation. Um, so I found that they were using the internet to confirm whether someone was telling the truth or not. And it could be a personal network who was, that was close to them, went to school with them, or a sister, but they're not telling the truth. They're basically saying that um, this is my lifestyle. But when you arrive, it's a different situation. And another situation is, uh, is uh, the, the one on television programs. I found some Nigerian women referring to cooking channels sort of to get accustomed to the food culture because they felt that if the food is significantly different, it may not influence them to go to that area. And some of them want to go to an area where they can purchase the food that they traditionally buy in Nigeria or in Kenya. So if they, if they went somewhere very remote and there are not many uh, Nigerian shops, they wouldn't go there. Or they would find easier access to those places. Others talked about magazines. Uh, one of them was referring to Cosmopolitan, although I didn't see the connection. But she basically said that she saw images and sort of created that image as being London, where she was going to go. But that's her interpretation. That's when you see the, the sort of informal communication, informal information she was receiving. Um, and with migrant agencies, I was referring to university prospectuses and university fairs, and they usually have student ambassadors that come to Kenya and talk to, be, talk to students about um, opportunities at the university, their courses, and as an initial stage, they sort of attract them to the idea, but they have offices based in Nairobi where they can talk to people about their requirements, the, what the, they will need for, to process all their documentation. And with regulatory linkages, um, I was only finding it in terms of migrant agency activities, the recruitment of nurses. And I found that uh, some of them were, some of the women, especially mostly Kenyan women, were talking about they had recruitment agencies coming to their workplace in Kenya where they gave them information about the job that they were going to do and the living standards and where to process the, uh, where to process the national insurance number, how they'll process the visa, and et cetera. So they had a sort of a, a formal discussion about it, and they were very sure that given everything they were provided, and they were just—it was just just up to them to either say yes or no to move. Some of them were, had said they are going to migrate, but this was sort of like the icing on the cake that will actually tell them 
I will migrate. So, um, and the same with the student's uh, recruitment, which I've already gone through with the student ambassadors. With the relational linkages, I refer to the family and personal networks because it was common amongst most of the migrants in my study. And I refer to Anna, who basically was, had a cousin in London who was very vague about the information that she received. Uh, but she just said, just come. But um, she was also using the idea of her parents who were, who were migrants in the 1970s and students in, in UK. And um, unfortunately, she was using outdated information. So she was thinking everything was the same. And instead of updating the information, she sort of used that information as a guide for herself, which could be detrimental for herself. And Constance was also looking at co comparing the, uh, she was looking at the, the successes of her parents and her uncle, but her uncle was in the United States, and she was saying that the educational quality of education in the UK and US actually encouraged her to migrate to those places so she can take advantage of that and become more successful like the parents. So she was sort of relating and sort of comparing that what can, can she gain as a result of that. Um, and Constance is the person that I was saying that was using the internet to confirm whether someone is telling the truth or a lie. And that's how sort of personal networks may be personal, but they may not be valuable in terms of the information that they provide. Um, I'm going to try and rush through this. So what I was finding is that the time period from 1990 to 2011, I realized they were using different communication channels. And in, from 1990 to 95, people talked about landlines, and you had to wait for someone to call you, or when someone tells, tells you I'm calling you at 5, you have to wait on the phone at five, and people talk about receiving 20-page letters from their husbands about what they did in a week so that they can get an idea of what is the lifestyle they'll, they'll be leading once they get there. And then from 96 to 2000, people talk about email mostly, but mobile phones slightly, not too much. But email, people were not so eager to use it because it wasn't readily available to them but they still went to use it where it was available. Then from 2000 to 2011, you see a lot of use of internet and social media, communication through Skype uh, for information. A lot of the migrants were talking about communication of that type. And so the channels of communication could delay or delay some of people, some of the migrants' um, migration, not the migration decision. The decision was made, but they just wanted to confirm certain details. But others would just migrate without receiving that information, they would migrate uh, and then experience it once they get there. And the reliability of the information, which I've mentioned before, is important because sometimes someone can tell you inform some information which may not be useful, and once you get here, you have to just go through the experience. And that was a challenge most of them had. They basically just said experience is the best teacher. You can't really tell someone who, uh, tell someone what to expect. So. This is the last analysis uh, slide. So in terms of information, I mean, I may have said it before, most of the questions they were asking about opportunities available, jobs and education and basic things that uh, they had already or could access already. But they did not explore or some rejected the whole inter integration, challenges of integrating into a society, culture shock, because there, there was the assumption that we are Brit we well Britain and England and Britain and Nigeria and Kenya are very similar, so their behaviour and the norms are very similar. So they didn't really think there'll be culture shock, legal status. I mean, these are things that they should have 
sort of asked about, but they didn't. But this is something that they're conveying to other people now that these are things you should prepare for. And also, what was big was changing gender relations in the household. Because now there was conflict, they were saying there were high divorce rates because women were now working and they had to balance household activities with the men um, who wanted to maintain traditional uh, uh, gender relations. Then um, also images, information included in images, what I talked about, people interpreting images as they are instead of sort of questioning it. People were using that as a way to convince themselves to migrate. They have decided to migrate, but they use those images to convince themselves instead of confirming whether it's true or false. And that's some of the mistakes. Some of them admit that they did, but they said at the time they wouldn't have done it any other way. They, they, just, they knew they were going to migrate, and they, they didn't really want to question or find a way to not convince themselves to migrate. So in a sense, I was getting the impression that good or bad information, regardless, they would still migrate. Uh, it wouldn't discourage them from migrating because they felt that uh, they wanted to leave because of the conditions in their country or whatever was, was challenging them in their country. And what I found interesting is some of the Kenyan respondents were sort of saying that the Kenyans in general, that was their impression, most Kenyans believe in hearsay. So I, I could say something and someone will say, oh, Linda's, Linda's friend, friend said this, and they'll believe that, but they would not go and confirm it. And that's how information is passed on by networks instead of confirmation. And the Nigerian respondent simply said, experience is the best teacher, putting it very simple, so that people, you cannot inform people they have decided to migrate. Uh, you can provide them with information, support, but you can't really prevent them from migrating. It doesn't prevent them from moving. So I think um, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I've gone over my time. Thank you for that. Thank you.